Worst, best, worst. The only podcast recorded on a Tascam 4-track cassette tape. We explore the craft of songwriting with our guests as they perform the first, last, best, and worst songs they've ever written. I'm your host, Carl Banks. I'm Taylor Rogers. And I'm Paul Blackwell. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. How's it going, Carl? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Rode my city bike over here through Sunnyside, Queens, a, a route I've never taken before. So I'm feeling good. We have a very special guest today in the studio, uh, Matt Allen of the band Star 80. How you doing, Matt? Good. Thank you guys for having me. Cool. Well, uh, let's just jump right into it. Let's hear your first song. Oh, yeah. It's called Living on the Edge. Living on the edge in my spare room, dreaming of the state. Living on the edge on daddy's dime, striving for my age. Living on the edge, stealing my cigarettes. It's rock and roll just to feed. But I mean it more than ever. I mean it when I say it's not all fun again. Ask me where I'm from If I dig Dylan songs Or Neil Young If I like breaking hearts If I'm mysterious and dark What have you made? What have you made? What have you That's living on the edge. Can you um, give us a relative date of this um, particular one? Uh, I think I was around 16. Um, it feels like a teenage angst in this one. For sure. Uh, it's sort of funny. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think so around 16. I'm not, I'm not, it's too early in the morning for me to do math. Um, but, <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's where. So, where are you at in your life, and at the age of sixteen? Uh, I'm going to high school uh, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, so, truly living on the edge. Li- tru- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Truly living on the edge. Um, uh, which, you know, credit to the song. The least there is like that self awareness in it of yeah. like living on the edge on Daddy's dime. Yeah, you know that whole thing. But uh, yeah, I was in high school. Uh, I you know, my band uh, from high school, 
a band that had one of the worst names ever, Montague Terrace. Um, that band was... Uh, <laughs> didn't take off. Uh. That, that band was, was falling apart. Um, you know, it was a lot of sort of scandalous stuff going on oh, yeah. um, behind the scenes with, with us. And, uh, you know, big breakup. Mm. Um, discovering the joys of binge drinking alone. <laughs> um, Ooh, that's, and, uh, early, that's an early age to get in that. Most people reserve that for oh, their I got, 30s. I, I got started right away. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Wow. Um, you do know that Aerosmith, I think, had a song called Living on the Edge. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually loved Aerosmith as a kid, so maybe that was like uh, it's in there subconsciously somewhere. bled in. I don't know. I loved Aerosmith, too. The, um, that album with the cow udder that has the piercing on it. I think that might be the, mm. I forget, uh, Eat the Rich, maybe. I don't like Aerosmith at all, but I did love that video game uh, when I was a kid. Do you guys remember this? Where you ha- you have to like team up with Aerosmith to like save the president or Whoa. something? <laughs> no, I don't remember this. Yeah, it's like On a Nintendo or what? no? It was like an arcade game, oh, and you okay. had like one of those big plastic guns. <laughs> wow, with Aerosmith. Um, yeah, with Aerosmith. That's funny. That's sick. Yeah, it's pretty sick, honestly. <laughs> um, the Beatles never did that. No, no, <laughs> no. Um, two references to iconic songwriters in this uh, particular song. You have a Dylan reference and a Neil Young mm-hmm. reference. Are those? Um, do, do you play those songs? Are those influences on? Never you? really liked either of those guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> <A bit> overrated. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, more of a Steven Tyler. Kind of um, no, I mean the true great. I'm like everybody else, but um, maybe to a particularly extreme and boring milk toast degree i would just like worship both those uh i'm like a fucking dylan fanatic but um were you at this point in your songwriting um yeah endeavor yeah yeah that's good- now but the difference is just like then i was like you know listening to highway 61 and mm-hmm. being like man this is so this guy's deep <laughs> now i'm like just last night i'm at work closing the coffee shop i work at and i'm playing you know, uh, triplicate his uh, standards album uh-huh. where he's doing like Sinatra songs. Yeah, and I stuff. love that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. I contain multitudes. Love that stuff too. Oh, though. amazing! Yeah. So this is the first song that you can uh, recall composing. The, the first one that you you have memory that yes. you can re- re- reconstruct. Yeah. Uh, when did you first start writing music um, on your own or for or with a band? Uh. It wasn't that long before this, maybe a year or two. Um, I went into high school, and I was a pretty committed and passionate basketball player. And at in the beginning of my second year uh, of high school, broke my ankle in a game. And I, would, I was already playing guitar, but at that point, for whatever reason, I just started writing more seriously. And... So yeah, it was around. It was around around then. It's so, like early high school. Cool, and um, yeah. So obviously, like a lot of your early influences are are kind of these classic boomer rock and roll icons. Um, uh, what else were you listening to? So, like that to? was ba- backhanded. But whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way. Like, I mean, you can't. I mean, um, you know, I mean, I feel like boomer has become kind of a slur. Right. Um, but I, I did not intend it in, in that spirit. Um, we can just move on. (laughs) You know, my parents are boomers. Yeah. You You like them? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, some, I know boomers, I'm allowed to say it. 
good. What were some of your other like formative in- influences? Uh, musically? Yeah. Um, I don't know. When I was a kid, I mean, the first music that I ever really loved was, uh, was hip-hop. Um, and then, I guess, in the kind of mid to late 2000s coming of age, all the classic sort of New York indie rock stuff of that era, um, you know, uh, also went to the same high school as the Strokes. So, so they were always kind of like this North Star mm-hmm. kind of looming kind of um, magical sort of band to me. Um, Saviors of rock and roll. That's what everybody right. called them when they came out. That's right. Um, yeah, all, you know, a lot of those bands I actually hate now. Um, <laughs> not the Strokes. The Strokes <laughs> are forever, are forever yeah. great, but like, uh, you know... TV on the what was TV on the radio TV, head or TV yeah. on radio TV on radio uh, TV on the radio right yeah I don't like that I don't <laughs> like Interpol those guys suck I, um, I do oh. feel like there was like you know that that big boom time the uh, early two thousands rock and roll revival um, <laughs> kind of you know uh, sort of like the the Brooklyn based Pitchfork sort of era of rock and roll uh outside of like a few classic albums like from the strokes like mm. no real lasting impact on the uh on the canon of rock and roll uh, it's, it's interesting though because it feels like now uh, in new york city all that stuff feels like a huge influence on what's going on right now Everybody's doing this kind of like throwback, There's a indie, throwback sleaze indie sleaze kind of thing. Thing, but I I feel like by and large, like I don't. It feels like the output from that that particular era is is. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose you can say the same thing about like <laughs> any other era, but like uh, no, I think you're right though. It's it's pretty scant in terms of what of it actually like actual classic yes. albums that people are are sort of um, using as touchstones right. going forward. I mean, the aesthetic. I think is is still like um you're right it's the aesthetic more than the music. Yeah. I mean we work on like culture works now on like a 20 year nostalgia mm-hmm. kind of uh kind of like uh cycle now so like that's that's it's just like early 2000s is like up now. I yeah. feel like and people are recycling the uh the aesthetic but um it's not real until motherfuckers start wearing like faded purple jeans, you know? Yeah. And like corduroy shorts, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, so everyone's talking a big game, but I don't see anybody wearing like a deep V right now, you know? Yeah. So, who's going to be? Yeah. Who's a lot gonna... of tough talk from these fucking people. <laughs> <laughs> and you were there. Man, I was in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With your broken ankle and yeah. guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, let's uh, let's get caught up to where you're at now. Um, you are living in Brooklyn. You're in a band, still, Star Eighty. Still been drinking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, still. Uh, yeah, you heard of this band before? I have actually. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I was uh, I was I was doing a little bit of uh, research uh, on the band Star Eighty, and it turns out I actually played guitar in that band for about Holy three years. Shit. Right. Yeah. yeah, so... Uh, pretty, I forgot, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very forgettable guitar yeah. performances. It's not a good era. Uh, for, <laughs> you don't know until you try. Yeah. You try things out. Yeah. Any uh, leftovers from the 
I forget the terrible band name from high school. Montague Terrace? Yeah. Oh, hell no, man. <laughs> that band sucked. <laughs> we had songs like Bohemian Grove, uh, Ooh, a song well. simply titled Girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bohemian Grove was big, you know, it was, then, Yeah, though. it was all based on the Alex Jones documentary. Right, Alex Jones snuck in. And yeah. Um, cremation of Care. Right. No, luckily, luckily the Star 80 stuff is, uh, was all and is all kind of new in the moment sort of well that's not true and whatever but um <laughs> newer. But yeah new, you know newer what was it that you were asking tay i forget uh why don't you just play your latest song <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh oh right we do the latest one next uh-huh. yeah okay uh this is just as a little quick little intro this is uh the way i've been introducing it on stage uh loosely it's a song about a guy who is fantasizing about quitting drinking and just getting really into soda. It's called The King of Soda. Famous drunk is stepping down and riding in the sun. Through it, the sickness that goes round and round. Oh, I've had a hell of a run. I'm telling you now, I think I'm done. This time I'm gone. King of soda I swap the beer and the big white lines for glistening bottles of cherry line Oh no Joker in me would swill chatrus, fireball and warm gin. Stand up to sun up, just getting loose. Till I'm spewing in a bin. But I'm telling you now, I think I'm done. This time I'm gonna. King of soda I swapped the beer And the big white lines With glistening bottles Of cherry lime Oh no This time I'm gonna King of soda Swap the beer And the big white lines With glistening bottles Of cherry
I love it. It's a uh, song of love lost, but um, music element of optimism. Looking forward to the soda. Um, I'm always curious about process, and I know with the knowledge that songs can come anyway and probably do for you, could you take us through the process of writing this song um, from conception to where we're at right now? Uh, I think I like the idea of just the... um I started with that, and it seemed kind of cinematic, and I could picture in my mind the way it could potentially sound um, on a record really big. And uh, the lyric was different. It was um, something about a kind of a canceled actor who is like in exile. Um, and it was a very, it was a, I was forcing it. I was like really trying to make this song work that wasn't there and wasn't coming organically. And this happens very rare, rare for me that uh, the lyrics for something are kind of one way and then I completely change the entire thing. It's usually pretty organic and what comes out initially is to some degree or not what ultimately ends up being the actual thing. But uh, I forget where the concept came. I think it just sort of, came up while I was sort of trying to rewrite the lyrics and I was like, this is really fucking funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think it's a really funny song. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very relatable, like the idea of just being like, everyone's done it where you just like wake up after like a long night and you're just like, that's it, I'm done. Uh-huh. <laughs> just soda from here on out. <laughs> yeah. The king of soda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's cool because it's just like, you know, uh, taking... To me, um, you know, from the perspective of a, of a guy who's like making this resolution, and it's just like maybe he's gonna keep it, maybe not. Yeah. You know, it's kind yeah. of kind of ambiguous. So I, I I do really like that. Um, and you got to drink something, right? It's like you're not gonna just not just drink water. Like, yeah, I have days where, uh, you know, I have the 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 discipline to not go and like get a get a drink, an alcoholic beverage. But then I'm like, fuck, I need something. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like, you know, soda is kind of the, uh, you know, I, I could talk about soda. We could do, a, yeah. the rest of the show could be about that. <laughs> oh, but. I love it. Uh, Diet Coke for me, whenever I'm like, no, no. I that, that's not good. <laughs> well, I, love, I love Diet Coke. <laughs> what? It's, adi- it's yeah. amazing. It's addictive. It really is. Oh, My mom loved real it. thing. I love that. I love the real thing too, but battery acid. <laughs> yeah. Just unnatural. It uh-huh. mm. just brought me from the inside out. It's the element of like I shouldn't be having this, but you know what? I'm gonna have a little little treat here. What's what's your <laughs> sure. favorite soda, Matt? Like, what are your what are your top picks? Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, definitely like a. I was thinking about this the other day. I was just like uh, laying in bed thinking about this, like uh, the the different rankings of Coke, uh-huh. and I don't yeah. even mean the different types of Coke, but the different methods through which their the Coke is delivered to you. Oh, okay. So yeah. number one with a bullet is the old-fashioned bottle cane sugar Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. Number yeah. two in my book is a, a fountain. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah. Rare in New or generally rare in New York. Where I'm in the Midwest, it's like right. you go there, we get fountain sodas sometimes, every day. Sometimes like the day, establishment but. will like bump the syrup level up. And <laughs> so it's like extra sweet and syrupy, you know, because they control the syrup versus the uh the uh, you know Carbonate. soda water yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah um, anyways three uh-huh. would be the uh, the the coke that you get from the the cupboard of your mom's house that you then pour over ice <laughs> yeah. in a glass yeah. that's okay. three uh, <laughs> and then four would be um, just a regular uh, can can of, yeah mm. can of coke 
the so t- my answer to your question is Coke. I'm, a, I'm just a Coke, <laughs> Coke guy. Classic. Yeah, classic. Yeah. I, I got to ask, have you either of you had the Manhattan Special? Yeah. It's disgusting. A, it's, you don't it's like it? It's so gross. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's a carbonated sweet coffee soda that's made in, in Williamsburg. It's been around for like 100, 100 years or something. Yeah, it's got – the novelty of it is cool, but yeah. I, it's, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But you don't like Diet Coke either, so – um, well, anyways, we're not going to do any more songs. We're going to keep talking about different types of soda, I think, for the rest of this right. episode. Um, uh, yeah, so um, let's, uh, let's hear your best song. Best soda? Oh, yeah. Okay, wait, wait. Yeah, I'm going to punch that in. Let's try that again. Uh, <laughs> punching in a segue. <laughs> it's so natural. Um, well, speaking of best soda, uh, let's hear your best song. all right so this song uh it's called david bowie and sonic boom David Bowie and Sonic Boom Loom above me on posters in my room This Randy Newman and kissed I'll make up to Tupac in a bubble bath and a picture of my brothers too But there's also this photo of you You left it behind when you packed up and moved T140 Casio Tone A window fan A bag of weed And a broken phone All the things I've had I've never owned But now all reminders There's Nowhere to go How Many days Fit in a song How many Of them Are now I'm really interested in how um, advanced 
the guitar has uh, come along since the first song, which is pretty much G, E minor, and D. And now you have this one that um, you have these really delicate finger-picking things. How does this translate into um, playing with a full band? Do you play this with Star 80? Uh, yeah, we played it uh, a few times. The band at this point is pretty skeletal. It's just me, our drummer Austin, and uh, the bass player, I forget his name. <laughs> okay. uh, Ted. Ted. Uh, Ted Jameson, the great Ted Jameson. Um, and it's, we've played it a couple of times live and it's nice. It's sort of a weird kind of, um, I think sort of startling song to play in front of an audience with a band. Cause it's just very, uh, it's very placid. Um, and I kind of get a kick out of playing it live with the band in front of like an audience at like a club or something, just mm -hmm. because, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's fairly rare to see that kind of song mm -hmm. performed in that way maybe i'm not maybe i'm wrong but uh well there's definitely been I'm less into rock like rock rocking uh, out these days than like trying to make people uncomfortable mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> i'm enjoying that there's a sense of uh humor in each one of the songs that we've heard thus far and then the line that stuck out to me is the randy newman in makeup um somebody that also has sense of humor in all of his songs also cinematic um can you speak love, to that love randy newman um i met randy newman once and uh i sat in his uh kitchen with him and talked about uh about music and he said something to me i'll never forget he was like uh, whatever happened to bands like the pish mode <laughs> um <laughs> so Love Randy Newman. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a reference. That line's a reference to <clears throat> his album, which is such a great album called Born Again. And on the cover of it, he's in this sort of Kiss-style makeup mm. um, where he's got these big green uh, dollar bills uh, or dollar signs over his eyes. Um, that album has a great song called Pants uh, where the whole song is just him threatening to take off his pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And, and, and that album also has a song about just about the band ELO. It's like a like a little biography of them. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a weird. No, no cool Depeche album. Mode, but no, no Depeche Mode quite yet. But <laughs> he's still one. Yeah, I love I love that he said that. A lot of your uh, songs uh, seem to deal lyrically with um, themes of like nostalgia and kind of like looking back at like mm -hmm. some uh, like past eras. Um, uh from from like your first song to now yeah. um uh the one that you just played do you know do you have any insight as to why that might be one of your like lyrical preoccupations that's kind of like a fucking deep question um not not we can talk about soda again <laughs> <laughs> i don't even mean particularly relating to me or my songs but just like what is the draw in general for people and kind of nostalgia or I think it's, and it's less about nostalgia and a kind of like, um, you know, I love the 90s kind of VH1, you know, uh, magazine show kind of way. But I guess it's, it's about some kind of like longing. Um, yeah. Some like, you know, uh, implacable uh, part of you that feels like uh, things just aren't right and that maybe there was a time when they were. Um, Especially in the case of especially in the case of that song, 
it's all kind of built around, and it's what I am sort of proud of about the song is that it's based on all of these specific kind of objects and things that are around me physically in my room, things that are on the wall, um, you know, photographs, posters. Um, so it's like a physical thing that ties you to the past and also ties you to certain people that are maybe not around anymore. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I have always liked about, uh, your songwriting is that, uh, there is like a specificity, specificity mm-hmm. to it, you know, where you like are, you aren't seeing uh, so much in general terms, but about actual concrete events and people and like characters that you come up with and, you know, uh, name checking different like things and events right. and places. Why do you think this is your best song? Why did you choose, choose that, this one? Uh... Well, obviously, I'm sure everyone who does this show says this. I'm not sure if it's like the best song. It's just I think that one. It's really, uh, I think it's uh, really efficient. It's a fairly short song. It's um, it's very. It combines the specificity that you were talking about, which I like to do with something very simple, which is just a kind of a a song about like heartbreak and longing. Um, and so I'm, I think that, you know, it just happened to like combine, uh, these kind of disparate things together in a way that, uh, I think is kind of cool. Yeah. It's a very cool song. Um, well, I think that brings us to, uh, the worst song. Absolute worst. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a song I haven't played in years called Hanging in the Hall. Hanging in the hall Hanging in the hall I saw eight mile at the mall One weekend Marshall killed them all I was the coolest in the hall on Monday Spinning my basketball Dave on Chris, Steven and John My friends waited in the hall And I told them all about the movie And they stood in awe Hanging in the hall Hanging in the hall Went to see Harrison Ford in a movie 
about firewall After school With Stephanie, my boo In the back, in the dark With her north face slung over Alice She put her hand in my pants It was insane Though I didn't get brain Can't remember the movie at all Hanging in the hall So what's that one about? <laughs> <laughs> Was this a high school song as well? It's actually about middle school, but oh, okay. I, I wrote it in college. Um, I made a solo EP in college um, that was sort of like a concept, little suite of songs uh, that were all very specifically nostalgia-based. There's a song called Monday Night Nitro about uh, pro wrestling. There's a song called Last Action Hero about... Uh, the movie The Last Action Hero, um, a song about comic book collecting when I was growing up, and then uh, this song, uh, Hanging in the Hall, which is about what it's about. But it's about, it's about middle school, uh, early sexual experiences, and um, seeing a crazy white boy like Eminem up on the big screen doing it and being like, damn, that's inspiring. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, mom's spaghetti. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... Uh- why do you consider this your worst song? What, what made the... Uh, I just think it's kind of cringe. Um, <laughs> like, and also musically, it's so primitive and not interesting. Like, compared to the David Bowie and Sonic Boom song that I played before, that song takes the specificity and matches it with actually a fairly, you know, more advanced, sophisticated kind of musical quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is usually how people refer to uh, my music as sophisticated. And, um, <laughs> but this one is just so, you know, it's like the music is really just like, it's a vehicle and framework for what is really just a series of anecdotes and it's a kind of like little fucking, you know, funny poem or something. It's, yeah. The music is almost like an afterthought, even though I do think the melody is nice. But um, so in that, I think I picked it for that reason. Uh, it's an old one. I think it's a little charming, but also kind of cringe and pretty primitive and sort of stupid. And it's indicative yeah. of what we've been talking about the whole time, the specificity of uh, what you're going through with names and, right. you know, movies and it's very specific things, which uh, is a nice quality. Uh, I just do love the, um, the fact that there is like an acoustic folk song talking about how you didn't get brain. Like that is, <laughs> that's like such a funny juxtaposition to me that... Uh, well, I also, I wanted to... Like, I remember when I wrote this song and I really paused when I wrote that line. I was like, man, it rhymes. It's in the perfect spot, but I can't do that. That's just like fucking <laughs> so wrong. Yeah. But it was, it was perfect because in middle school, I mean, 
I don't know how much is brain like a regional New York term. I'm not sure if it is, but we didn't use it down south. Yeah, that, if I think it might kind of be a very New York thing, but uh, I that was as a, for a song about middle school, it made sense because that was like how we talked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I do think that um, those moments when you are writing lyrics and you're like, oh, I can't say this. Like this is too mm-hmm. far. This is too weird. This is too raw. Um, a lot of times you're right, but a lot of times when those types of lyrics do work, that you have that initial reaction of, oh, no. Right. Uh, those become the best, most memorable lyrics that you write and the, and, and the ones that people tend to pick up on the most. Sure. I totally agree with that. I, I've recently tried to talk myself out of... Uh, or I didn't wasn't trying to talk myself out of writing a song, but I was just sort of consciously aware in the moment that this is a song that was maybe gonna uh, if I were to play it live, I can imagine sort of people would maybe react to it badly. Mm. But uh, I kept going for that reason where I'm like, oh, this will maybe start a conversation. Um, the same way that it's so lame to be self-referential like this, but the song we used to play in the band together, Fear of Girls, the way that that song would like genuinely have people like come up and like talk to us about it. Yeah. Uh, it was sort of stressful, but kind of a cool thing that it made, it incited that reaction from people. So, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you know, the role of rock and roll uh, for, you know, since its inception has been uh, partially to upset people, mm. you know? So, I mean, that's, it's a long uh, I don't know where I'm going. With <laughs> yeah, the song, the song, the song about not getting brain is definitely gonna, you know, it's gonna ruffle the feathers of the powers that be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm all about. Oh, that's great, anarchy. I, I'm. It's interesting, be just thinking of like regional vernacular and also like generational um, lyricism. You know, you have like the beats when they were like you know, everything was cool and daddy-o and stuff. And then you, ha- you, ha- you just have regenerations of that in every, um, you know, few years. And you see it now, what's going on with, like, um, Bet and, um, you know, things like that. Who? Uh, bet, the word, I don't know, I'm thinking Oh, of, Bet. Oh, yeah. like, yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the, I'm just uh, making that point. Brain, I think, fits in there because, I will, you know, it's not what we said gotta, either. Gotta love some... Uh... Some some regional uh, ephemeral kind of slang. Yeah. yeah, it does tie it to a certain time and place. Though. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, you never know like how long these things are going to last. Like, how long is dead going to stay with us? Mm. A couple years or forever? Dead in what sense? You know, like when people instead of when people say something's funny, they're just like, "Oh, dead." Oh wow! See, yeah. I don't go out much. I guess I haven't. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've heard that. They just say dead. Yeah, yeah, if you talk to, like, some... Not like, even, like, I'm dead, just dead. Yeah, yeah, like, Whoa. Gen Z, if you say something funny, like, a lot of times <laughs> they'll just be, like, dead. Wow. <laughs> huh. I'm uh, start using that to try to be cool. Yeah. Um, I would go with Daddy-O, too. I think that's going to come back. Daddy-O's coming back. I think, <laughs> sure. yeah. Uh, first I'm last dead, best, Daddy-O. Yeah, we're... Uh, Fingers snapping. We're bullish on Daddy-O. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> we are the trendsetters. Uh, Matt, this has been so much fun. Can you tell us a little bit about what Star 80 has coming up uh, in the near future? We have a album done that Taylor absolutely 
murders it on incredible guitar playing and also some beautiful uh, synth and key parts that he arranged. All of our friends who were involved did a great job. It's eight songs. I'm really, really proud of it. It's taken a long time to kind of figure out, but it'll be out early 2025, 2023. (laughs) Um, And that album's going to be called New View. We just shot a video for... The, uh, the 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 one of the singles, yeah. Look look out for the Instagram. Follow me on uh, Instagram. Oh yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Always great to see you. Uh, do you want to play us out with your wild card song? Sure, I would love to. This is uh, "Stars Over Sedona." Stars over Sedona cry, baby, right outside this little room. A guru. Armed in his compound, a bar band next door plays loud outside. A claret cup cactus blooms. Sex in a super eight shower. Help me forget I'm a coward. And that I live in a world that's truly doomed. This toy town. Feels like a setup where the only two real things are the mountains are all curtains that breathlessly loom. Oh,
Thank you, guys. Uh-huh.